This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome, Jeff, Eric, and Brian here with you on this uh, Wednesday. Happy Veterans Day to all the all those who are currently serving or who have served out there in our audience. Uh, we want to tell you how much we love you and we appreciate you on this Veterans Day. November the 11th is Wednesday night. We're recording this and, you know, it seems like we always have to preface every show by saying that because you never know what can happen these days in college football. Half the SEC got their, got their, uh, uh, got their schedule wiped. Uh, already this week, and who knows what's going to happen? But uh, we've got, but as long as, as far as we know, we still got football to play. Um, and uh, by the way, Murph, we will play Temple this week, right? Uh, uh, to be yes, yeah. Like subject sources change, say, at at, at nine forty two Wednesday night, it is a go. It is an absolute go. Or, or as you would say on Twitter, Team Source colon UCF will play Temple. On Saturday, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to preview that game. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, Daryl Mack. Actually, announced today. This is actually—it's not really breaking news. It's news that has broken today. But Daryl Mack announced that he uh, has entered the transfer portal, and we wanted to um, pass along our uh, our thanks to uh, to Daryl and uh, and reminisce about his time at UCF, which was uh, eventful, certainly. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit more about the men's basketball schedule as it comes into shape. Um, including the windows for uh, conference games uh, and the two non or four non conference games uh, that are now on this on the schedule, and we also have a guest on the show. Eric spoke with Trey Hildebrand of the UCF uh, men's tennis uh, team, who is coming off of uh, a victory at the ITA National Fall Championship. Eric Trey Hildebrand, wow, and he did it against one of his teammates too. That's right. It was an all-teammate affair Sunday, a match that was televised on ESPNU, where Hildebrand came back from a set-down beat Gabriel DeCamps in three sets to win the ITA National Fall Championship. I'll talk to him about that. What was it like facing someone you know as well as a teammate indoors as that match got moved indoors? And what does that mean? tournament title mean for Hildebrand moving forward is really part of a huge year for UCF tennis ahead. So uh, looking yeah. for, I had a great talk with him, and uh, you'll get to hear that a little bit later on. All right, and then we'll wrap up with our own little tribute to Alex Trebek, too, the late Alex. I can't believe it, he's uh, the late Alex Trebek. But um, anyway, so let's uh, let's go to uh, the Temple game. UCF and Temple coming into uh, their game uh, this Saturday, uh, scheduled for 7.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Of course, UCF coming off the bye week at 4-2. Temple is at one and four. They have not played any non-conference games. Uh, they've lost three in a row to Memphis Tulane and most recently uh, SMU. Uh, and uh, well, it's it, like as you can imagine, it's been a rough go for the Owls this year. Um, their most recent game they uh, played with on the on around fifty players. Um, they'll have more than that, obviously, at their disposal this coming Saturday. But uh, UCF, of course, defeated Temple 63-21 in Philadelphia last year. Uh, it was 28-21 at the half before UCF dropped 28 points in the third quarter to um, pull away and just did what UCF did. Interesting note, uh, Lopez, you brought this up to me earlier this week. Um, the uh, opening line for this game was 28 and a half on Odd Shark. 
And I think at the time that it came out, it was the highest line for any FBS game. Is that true? That is correct. It's the biggest margin. Uh, I don't know what the current number is. I can tell you right it, now, it's 24. People are taking Temple. People wow. are people are jumping on Temple, and they dropped you it down to 24. 57% of the money on UCF, over under 75.5, and, and 83% are taking the over uh, on that one. So, uh, so hmm, some things to think about there. Well, I think I think a big part of that is Temple, as as far as we know, on Wednesday night got their quarterback back, Russo, who yep. has you know is pretty good quarterback. When Temple really struggled earlier in the year, they were hurt with COVID and injuries, and they didn't have Russo due to he had an injury. He had an injury, so he didn't start. I think a what couple games, Murph. I, I want to say, um, yeah, he was out the last two games because he has um, basically had a sprained AC joint in his right in his throwing shoulder. Ouch! So they've been shorthanded, and I think. You know, they played S- – I watched the game against – they played uh, recently against SMU on ESPN+. Plus. They can, they moved the football, and, I, you know, the score points. So I guess that's the theory, right, is that you pick the, take the points because that's a lot of points, and you figure maybe Temple could score in the back end and cover that number. So uh, that might that, – that, that has to be the reason why that number de- is, certainly drops a little bit. Well, there's also um, this fact in that UCF is one and four against the number in their last five games. So, uh, so there's also that. <laughs> a, ba- a bad be- – it's been a decent season for UCF football, but a bad beat season all over the place. Oh, my God. The bad beats this year have just been something else, uh, as, as some fans have alluded to. Um, uh, Temple's head coach is Rod Carey. Um, who took over, of course, from Matt Rule, who moved on. Their, their numbers uh, offensively this year, though, for Temple, they've not been very good. They're 81st in the country in total offense, 91st in rushing, uh, 46th in passing. Um, I'm looking here up and down on uh, on their on their strengths, and they really just don't have many right now. <laughs> I mean, their their uh, their defense has also been uh, been pretty bad. They're uh, 80th in the country in total defense. 111th in team pass efficiency defense, so the highest. So they're close to the close to dead last in the FBS in terms of highest passer rating allowed. They've been getting lit up via the pass um, so far this year. Murph, UCF coming off the bye week, got four guys who are now gone from the defense, but that didn't seem to really bother anybody the last two weeks. Um, you've heard from a couple of the coaches that have been out here. Um, that, that have been out uh, discussing what they've been working on these last two weeks. I know that there's not a whole lot of insight to glean from that, but what's this team look like coming in with uh, what I thought was a badly needed week off? Yeah, I think it just. I think they. I think this team now understands what their what their rotations are. I think you know for, on both sides of the ball, defensively, most importantly, is you know okay, who do we have, and then how can we best use them? And I think even even though we saw them use that defensive line really well. With good results, uh, it, it helps to have that bye week to really um, kind of set up these last three games to know who is left in the program, how you can use them, how you can roll those guys and make them most productive. Um, I, you know, I think you know a lot of what we heard this week has been about just um, you know gearing up these this home stretch, um, but the the biggest sort of uh, news that's come out of our press conferences this week has been the uh, I don't know if it's imminent. But the upcoming return of Trey Nixon. Uh, so Trey, for those who will remember, 
uh, hurt his uh, shoulder. Uh, let's 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 call it a collarbone. For those who would remember, I forgot that guy. <laughs> no, I really did. But like, yeah, it's it's been a while. He hurt his uh, he hurt his what we think was his collarbone, right? I mean, it's, it's fair to it's fair to speculate that he he did hurt his collarbone in a manner that would leave him out for seven to eight weeks, which is what he's been out. Uh, he returned to practice late last week. Um, and uh, obviously put out a tweet uh, earlier this week thanking, you know, just saying how, how good it is and how nice it is for him to be back. Um, you know, we talked to um, quarterbacks coach Joey Halsley today and said, you know, and he was asked, how does Trey look out there? And he said flat out, he just said fast. Trey looks fast, which he should. Again, it's a shoulder injury, not a hamstring or an ankle injury. <laughs> um, but I think it was interesting that Coach Halsley also – um, sort of preached some caution with, with Trey and said that, you know, obviously they want to have him back on the field with them, but they also want to do what's best for him, make sure that when he's, you know, make sure that it's safe for him to come back. So I, you know, will of course ask Josh Heupel on Thursday about whether or not Trey, Trey Nixon will play. And the people who listen to the show can already guess what that answer is going to be. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be anything informative. But I think just hearing from Coach Halsley, there does seem to be some uh, – there's seem to be a measure of caution in terms of uh, Trey's status. So he may not play this game against Temple because, well, one, he may not be ready, but two, they probably don't need him. Uh, and But he – but I think the big news is he – his uh, – you know, his his return to the field is, is on the horizon. And if anything, he is on track to add to this offense as if this offense needed another big-time deep-threat receiver – to add to it leading up to next week's game against Cincinnati. Well, would you look at that? The number one pass offense in the country is actually getting another one of its veteran weapons. So um, arguably coming into the season, you would have, you would have looked at Trey as the number one deep threat on this team. And now you've got Jalen Robinson and Ryan O'Keefe. Everyone knows what Marlon Williams can do. Um, It's, it's a disgusting display of riches, but this is what this (laughs) offense is. Uh, Eric, do you, I hate to go into this game being confident, like I hate going into any game confident, but this seems like... My point is I I just kind of hope that UCF doesn't overlook this game, right? Is it possible that they could be overlooking this at all? A little bit, actually. I'll I'll throw you the scenario. Cincinnati's playing Friday night uh, against East Carolina, at least as of this recording, on Wednesday (laughs) night. Because I don't, I don't know anymore what's getting played, doesn't get played. Until the game's kicked off, I'm not 100% sold of any game being played anymore. But Cincinnati's playing Friday night. You know UCF's going to be watching that game. You know players are going to be watching that game. And what happens is you're thinking ahead, oh, hey, man, we could do that. And then, oh, yeah, we could take advantage of that. Next thing you know, you're playing Temple here, and you're in the second quarter, and you're sleepwalking. And it's a tighter game than it should be. So I, I think there's a, ch- a percentage. The one thing I would counter with that is they are coming off a bye. So they should really be ready to roll and get back on the field. I think the key is you got to get off to a good start, get off to a big lead, and then get out of there. Uh, you don't want to, you know, like you mentioned, don't overlook Temple. You don't want to get stuck in a situation where you're in a, a tricky game in the second half against Temple because Russo – can't put points up. I know those stats look bad, but I, I, Temple's had a lot of stuff go against them this year. Uh, but that doesn't mean, like I said, they look pretty decent against SMU at home on Saturday. And I think with Russo, they have a you know they could move the football a little bit better than those stats suggest. However, if UCF is locked in, I think they should pull away. And I think that is important 
because you want to come out of this game pretty healthy as possible for the big game against Cincinnati the following week, especially since Cincinnati's going to have a day's a head, a head start on you because they're playing Friday. So yeah. I think it's important to lock in, take care of business, and then get your players out of there in the sec- late in the second half and focus on Cincinnati. So Russo this year is 68%, nine touchdowns, six interceptions, uh, and he's uh, thrown for 863 yards. Um, Temple's had two other guys play at quarterback so far this year, Trad Beatty and Rayal Mitchell. Um, top rusher for the Owls is Remond Davis, 308 well, yards and a touchdown. No, 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 it's not. Um, so uh, Raymond oh. opted out. Raymond is going to transfer. Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, he, so he, he he's so people might remember Raymond Davis. He was literally he was one of the best players last year. Yeah, he was good last as year a, as a freshman. UCF did a pretty good job on him in that blowout win at Temple. Um, but he was really the star of their offense last year, along with Russo and some other guys. Well, he decided about a week ago, actually a week ago today. Um, and 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 as players actually have said, it was kind of a shocking move. They didn't know about it until he put it out on social media. Right. He's going to he's going to go into the, into the portal. Um, so he's not around. That I is pretty. Want- that is surprising because he was leading the team in rushing too, at 308 yards right now. So behind him uh, are is a Tavon Ruley who's got only 168 yards this year. And so Ruley is become their their lead back. He is a senior. Uh, who's who's been here for two years? This is his second season. Uh, he really hasn't gotten much of a chance, and now this is kind of his opportunity. I believe he got 15 carries against SMU. He had 66 yards and a touchdown. Um, so he'll be the, the he'll be the lead back. I also would not be surprised to see Real Mitchell as a quarterback come in as sort of like your Cam Newton, Daryl Mack uh, option read quarterback because he can do those kinds of things that Russo cannot. Uh, the, the third quarterback, by the way. Got hurt last week as well, so he's unavailable for this game. Yeah. It's that that is the story of Temple season. You're either hurt, you're on the COVID list, or you've opted out. That is the story of their right. season. Right, and they're not as good as they were been even like the back run, the running game, which I think is for Temple to have a shot, they would have to run the football well against UCF. They don't have the backs you mentioned, or none of them are as good as Raquel Armstead, who you remember had a big game against UCF a couple years ago in that shootout mm-hmm. uh, at the bounce house. They're not as good. It's been a it's a rough year, honestly. I think there are play. You know, Temple's probably like counting down the days. Like, can we just end the season already and move on to basketball? I mean, <laughs> wow. you're probably gonna run down the stats, and you'll probably run into a name of Randall Jones. Yeah, is their leading receiver. Well, except he's also hurt. Uh, he got hurt against SMU, and he's not playing this game. Um, so, and they they have a couple of guys that that, that are that are dangerous. Brandon Mack is a guy who I think made a big play against UCF last year for a touchdown. But it's just att- it's just attrition all over the place. Uh, I, I, when we, we, I can go to defense when you want me to talk about the defenses, defensive losses, which are actually more in number. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, right now what's listed on their stats, their leading tackler is William uh, Quenke, the linebacker, and their leading sacker is Arnold Ebikiti, um, the defensive end. But uh, this defense has struggled all year long. And like you were mentioning, it's because of it's because of overall attrition, right? Absolutely. So uh, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, uh, they had 13 guys on the COVID in the in the COVID protocol. A number of guy, a number of those guys were on their two deep depth chart. Uh, they, I, I don't believe they'll have their their best linebacker for this game, Graham Mobley. Uh, and then it got so bad in the linebacking core 
He's been out for a few weeks. But the linebacking court, I believe they dressed three scholarship linebackers for the SMU game. Oh, boy. And then in the, def- in the defensive secondary, they are they are starting a true freshman at safety whom uh, Rod Carey's been very frank this week. Listen to his press conferences. He is not one to mince words or, or hide behind coach speak. He will say that these guys aren't ready to play, but they have no other chance. They have no other uh, they, no other options. They've no, they, you know they they have to play because that's all they've got. Um, and so it got so bad, I think two weeks ago, that their scout team cornerbacks were a kicker and a linebacker because they just ran out of cornerbacks <laughs> that are available. Oh my gosh, really? Um, and so some of those guys have come back, so it doesn't look as bad now. But it's um. It's a mash unit, and uh, and at least Rod Carey has been very upfront with saying this week of who will and will not play, and I would love to have that. <laughs> Their only win this year, by the way, was at home against South Florida, 39-37. That was in the second game of the year. Um, they lost the Navy by two in their opener, and then things kind of you know, unfolded from there. Go ahead, Eric. I thought I heard you yeah, trying to say look, something. Like I said, this is a UCF should handle business. If they're locked in, they'll take care of business early, blow them out. Don't mess around and get your starters out. You know, if they'll get Taylor Gabriel out and, you know, Hey, maybe play some other quarterback that, uh, you know, whatever, whoever you want, you know, any other quarterback on the <laughs> don't roster, you, don't maybe you that start people that. Might be interested in playing. Don't you start that. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> They, uh, I just want to update everybody on the standings right now, too. Right now, UCF is is in fifth uh, in the American. Well, actually tied for fourth with Memphis uh, and Navy. Of course, Memphis has the tiebreaker head-to-head. But, um, boy, did Memphis escape last week. Huh? Man, UCF really needed that. And, again, South, you know, South Florida, man, I'll tell you. They find <laughs> – they – they found a way to lose that game and just just to just to mess up with you just to mess with UCF because uh, if they if they had you know then UCF would have been uh, would have been in four it would have been in fourth place behind four and one SMU obviously undefeated Tulsa and undefeated Cincinnati which is kind of a not a bad place to be at least at this point uh, who's uh, but I mean what are you gonna do at least. Well, uh, Memphis lost. A, they were, they're not going to be playing this week. Right. Uh, they lost. A, they, game. Well, they didn't yep. lose a game. Their game with Navy is postponed officially. Right. And that's going to be interesting how they figure all that out. The only thing the league announced was that the Cincinnati-Tulsa game, we speculated that may, maybe you move that game to the 12 so you could fit other games in. Nope. Uh, they have moved that game to Friday, December 4th, uh, Cincinnati and Tulsa. So it looks like that's going to stay in that slot. So it really begs to ask the question, are you going to be able to get all these games in? You still have Memphis and Navy that you're trying to figure out, Tulsa and Navy. Uh, unless they move the Army-Navy game to to December 19th, I, I think there's they going to be a game. They ain't moving that game. game. <laughs> they are not. not moving that game. So <laughs> I think the thing that's going to be interesting as we move forward here, if, if Tulsa and Cincinnati don't end up being the top two teams clearly with 0-1 losses – then this could come down to whatever the tiebreakers are, whether it be head-to-head, whether it's win percentage, whatever it is. Uh, that's what we could be headed for in this league to determine who will be playing in the conference championship game if Cincinnati and Tulsa don't take care of business uh, and, and you know, win out outside of their head-to-head meeting. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, Cincinnati does play ECU, like you said, on Friday. Uh, Tulane is home for Army on noon on Saturday. 
Uh, Houston is home for South Florida. That game's on ESPN2 at 3.30. And then Tulsa has SMU. That should be a good game, 7 o'clock on ESPN2. Um, yeah, that's the game of the weekend. Yeah, that's that's going to be a huge game to watch. So, uh, And obviously across Brian, from I'll us. Follow it. Brian, I'll be watching that, uh, following that while you're you're at the stadium. Yeah. I'm, well, while I'm hating my life at 11 o'clock, they're the third <laughs> quarter of a three-and-a-half-hour game. Gosh. Uh, Here comes media sure complaint Murphy, guy. I keep warning you guys. Make sure you follow Murph at Spokes underscore Murphy. 7.30 p.m. kick on Saturday. The game will be on uh, ESPN ESPNU. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, hey, maybe, maybe we'll get a fourth quarter like we had uh, like we had the other day where you, where, or, or the other week where, uh, you know, run the last eight, eight and a half minutes off the clock and. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Yeah. That's let's show, that. little, show a little yeah. ball control UCF, huh? And I would love it. And by the way, if you tune in early enough, you will get to see a shuttle launch, hopefully, or a rocket launch. Hopefully, that's right. It's shuttle launch. Gosh, you're such a throwback. I I can't even I, I can't even believe you said shuttle launch on this one. You know who know. you're talking to here. Jeez, <laughs> SpaceX is is supposed to be launching uh, a, a manned Dragon capsule at was a seven forty nine. Correct. And for those of you who don't know, I mean. Most of you probably know this. The 50-yard line winds up was exactly like due. See, see like, it's it, the it, exact it, same latitude as uh, as Launch Complex 39A, which is where uh, the SpaceX uh, Dragon will or will uh, will originate from. So, and it just so happens that the, the the viewpoint that we get from the press box, which is for, you know in the in the Roth Tower, uh, looks out that way. So if you are basically on the UCF sideline, uh, looking out uh, toward, over the edge of the stadium, you will get to see a, a rocket around 7.50, 7.49. And, it, on, and uh, it'll be plenty uh, dark. It'll be plenty dark, right? So um, so it should be pretty – assuming it happens, you never know because, I mean, this is obviously a manned launch. So SpaceX is, gonna, is obviously going to be very – uh, careful about this, but um, you know, will it, this will that be more suspenseful than the game? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Eric, Eric, will ESPN two show it? You think, Eric? No, oh, they'll they'll like, show. I don't know if they'll show it. They'll they'll show the rocket going up. I mean, for, you know, just kind of showing you where where it might happen. Like somebody's the director has to put a camera on that thing, right? As long they'll as nobody back, lets him know, they'll probably come back from they'll probably come back from break and show it. You right? Know? Hey, a few moments ago, this is what we saw here at the bounce house. Yeah, we've, we've but, yeah. But Eric, this is this, this is the type of game, and I don't I don't want to do it because I did last time it didn't work. This type of game where I put the I put the wheelchairs up for auction on this type of game. I mean, this one is just it just <laughs> By the it's way. just oh, cutting cutting oh, dry. Boy. Real quick, because we will have post-game uh, night shift following the game. Me and Andrew will be uh, doing it. I don't know what time. <laughs> hopefully before midnight, but it'll yeah. be whatever it is. We will. Uh, hopefully it'll still. Up. Hopefully it'll start on Saturday. <laughs> now, now, yes. So Brian. Now Brian will not be joining us on this episode because it's really, really late. So unless something really big happens at the game, which probably is not what I want, uh, Brian will not be joining us on this episode. We'll have him back for the Cincinnati game. But Murph. Yeah. The last time we did night shift from Houston, you had a bit of a mechanical issue. Are you good? Are you good for this Saturday? Or are you <laughs> are you a game time decision? I have I have MacGyvered my wheelchair into semi working order, uh, and it's going to be a while for it to get actually fixed. Uh, so it's not great, but it's good enough. It's just it's a, we're all working on we're all working day by day, day to day. 
That's that's all we can ask for. That's what I've got right now in a wheelchair situation. Yeah, it's rough. So it, so if you find Murph's wheelchair and he's like putting it up and he's putting it up there, just d- don't take it. Nope, it's it's damaged goods at this point. We need to, we need to. I'm, I, do do we start the GoFundMe now, Brian? Is that? Uh, I, I need yeah. This is probably this is probably a GoFundMe situation. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, in other news, yeah. in other football related news, uh, we got word. This is actually well, not really breaking. It it broke earlier today. Uh, Daryl Mack announced that he is uh, in the transfer portal. This is something that we're not all that um, surprised by. In fact, in fact, I think. Uh, um, I, I, given how the quarterback situation has worked out, um, it's uh, it, it's it's not a, a general surprise. But uh, Daryl Daryl is uh, it, it will be leaving UCF, a guy who is known for uh, coming in to replace uh, Mackenzie Milton after the injury at South Florida. Of course, there was the ECU game earlier in the year when Mackenzie was a little banged up and he played well, and then. Uh, and Daryl Mack led UCF to. Uh, the uh, American Athletic Conference Championship with a record-breaking performance, four touchdown rushes in the second half of the 2018 American Athletic Conference Championship and um, and came so close to beating LSU uh, in the bowl game. Uh, UCF lost by one score. A couple things go a little bit differently and uh, and Daryl Mack would have been 2-0 on an undefeated uh, on an undefeated team. But, uh, you know, I... I, I our thanks again as fans, right, to Daryl, who um, was a total team guy. Obviously, saw the the starting job kind of slip through his fingers after he uh, after he had suffered an ankle injury in the preseason last year, which enabled Dylan Gabriel to uh, to to eventually slide into the starting role. Of course, um, Brandon Wimbush got the start in the opener, and then and then Gabriel took over from there. But um, Murph, I'll start with you. What's what's going to be your lasting impression of uh, Daryl Mack? Probably, you know, the the two games in which he started. Well, the two games in which he started in 2018 uh, were were just uh, you know were both very significant for me. I remember the one in East Carolina, which was his first career start, was a surprise to all of us because we didn't know until the last minute that Mackenzie Milton wasn't going to play in that game, and we were. I was in Greenville, and all of a sudden, oh, oh by the way, here comes Daryl Mack, and, and he plays pretty well in that game. And then obviously, I think the game everyone will remember for him is the Memphis, uh, I mean, the Memphis back-and-forth title game, which was just, look, it looked ugly, and, and he didn't play well early, and he lost some fumbles and stuff, but he obviously willed that team back in the second half. There's no doubt about it. So if there's a game that people will remember Daryl by, it's, it's that game. I am very happy for Daryl. Uh, because he deserves this. Um, he, you know, the fact is, like you said, Jeff, the, the way it broke, uh, it, he just was not going to get a starting shot here. And it's too bad of what happened, you know, in the preseason last year with his broken ankle, really taking that chance away from him even before he had a chance to compete for it. But I think we could all see now that no matter what happened, Darryl, Dylan Gabriel would have ended up being the starter regardless. Yeah. And he would have been a backup anyway. Uh, and, and so it's it, it is it, it Daryl deserves an opportunity to start somewhere, and I I think I've said this on this podcast. I think I've said this for more than a year now, because he deserves it. He's got the athleticism, the size uh, to be a really good college quarterback. And don't forget, guys, you know he's going to be a, a grad transfer, so he's going to have his he's going to have his degree. 
and he's got a, um, a a small kid as well. I believe the kid's maybe only a year old. Uh, and so that has to go in his decision too. <laughs> and I, I hope the best for him. Everyone should hope the best for him. This is not surprising, and I was really rooting for it to come. I was really rooting for him to, to make the decision to, <laughs> to go and, and find a place where he could play uh, and start because he deserves it, and he can, and he will. And it'll probably be pretty good at it too. He's originally, by the way, from, originally from Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and wherever he ends up next year, he will be a junior. Is that right? Because he was freshman and then a sophomore at UCF. Opted out this year. So he retains his junior year of eligibility. So he'll be a junior next year, wherever he ends up. By the way, his career numbers at UCF, 70 of 131, uh, 838 yards, seven touchdowns, two interceptions, passing, and then rushing uh, 110 carries, 516 yards, nine touchdowns. So, um, so yeah, including obviously the, the four touchdowns against uh, Memphis in that. Uh, but I want to pull up that game log real quick because – I mean, it was you talk. We talk about the tale of two halves, right? Yeah, I mean, well, that's was, his legacy. That's yeah. his legacy, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that that game he finished nineteen of twenty-seven for three hundred forty-eight yards and two touchdowns, plus eighteen carries, fifty-nine yards, and four touchdowns. So six total touchdowns in that game, which seems like it was ten years ago already, doesn't it? Jeez. But that's it. But you're right. That's his. That's that's his legacy. That's that was the Daryl Matt game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think. It's like Frank Wright, right, in the Buff comeback against Houston yeah. in the NFL for the injured Jim Kelly. Uh, you know, that's kind of what this is. It's it's like so he'll always be thought of very well, and hopefully he ends up well. And I, I look forward to seeing him play. I agree with Murph. I think uh, I think wherever he ends up going, he's going to play, and I think he'll play very well. And he'll play for two years too. I'd be really interested to see where he ends up, and if he obviously gets the starting job, and um and uh, and 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 to see what he can do with an offense that's entirely his. You know, I think that would be a lot of fun. So we're thankful for Daryl for his contributions to UCF and uh we're sad to see him go, but on the other hand, it's if if that's what's best for him, that's what he's got to do. So we're thankful for the memories that he brought us here the whole time. All right. Um let's take a quick break when we get back, we'll talk basketball schedule. We'll talk a little men's tennis with Trey Hildebrand from UCF Men's Tennis, uh champion of the ITA Fall Nationals. Um, that happened this past week, and uh, a little tribute to Alex Trebek when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, where you can follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, BlackandGoldBanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF Sports Men's Basketball uh, is what we're going to start this segment off with. And the non-conference schedule is locked in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, UCF starts with a pair of home games. By the way, big-time opponents on UCF schedule to start in the non-conference slate. Starting with Saturday, November 28th. That's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. UCF is home for Oklahoma. That's the home, That's the season opener. It's also the day after the Black Friday game, so get back from Tampa. That's right. So, uh, by the way, the following Monday, November 30th, two days later, UCF faces Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers at home. Then the Knights have, uh, well, almost a week off. Sunday, December 6th, they travel to Ann Arbor to play Michigan at the Chrysler Center. And then almost two weeks off before they travel to Tallahassee to play Florida State on Saturday, December the 19th. Now... 
intermittent to that is the uh, Americans' uh, schedule as far as the windows for conference play. Now, the American has not released the conference schedule for either for neither men's nor women's basketball as of this moment. Now, when are they planning on announcing it? Well, they have... Or maybe they, announcing they would like it. To, they, would, they would like to get it done this week, but the, I think the more likely scenario is that it'll be released early next week. Okay. So... There are three windows for games in December that the conference is currently planning on. December 14th through the 17th, December 21st through the 23rd, and December 28th through the 31st. Now, those are weekends. Now, we might see, I, I, I mean, well, I don't know what we're going to see, at least as far as this is concerned. But we might, we might see maybe, who knows, we might see the conference opener on that 14th through 17th weekend and then the trip to Tallahassee. Which I don't remember the last time we had crossover between conference and non-conference since we were in the A since we were in the A Sun. I don't remember that. Do you guys remember the last time we may have had a non-conference no, I mean, game after rare. the conference opener? It's very rare yeah. in the American. Very I know rare. that. Uh, but the reason they're doing this, every conference is doing this, is trying to give themselves some wiggle room for postponements and things like that that might occur. So you want to give yourself some windows here to get some games in. Yeah, well, the the bottom line is what they're trying to do is get everything in before March 11th through the 14th, which is the yep. men's basketball tournament at uh, Dickey's Arena at um, at Fort Worth. And one more note on scheduling. It's uh, a 20-game conference schedule, 10 home, 10 away, everybody home and home. So that mm-hmm. should be... That should be a lot it's of the fun. Greatest, it's, the, it's, the, it's the most difficult, greatest UCF men's basketball schedule of all time. And that's not... That's not paraphrasing it. I mean, you look at the matchups non-conference with Oklahoma and Auburn at home. You can make an argument yeah. that's the best home slate non-conference ever. Big 12, yeah. SEC, Big 10, yeah. ACC. Boom. And then Michigan and Florida State are ranked in the top 25 in the AP polls that came out earlier this week. I think they're they're both going to be contenders in the respective conference championships. Uh, it's unbelievable. And yeah, you know, Brian and I were talking about the schedule, and I think it's a great philosophy. Brian brought it up, and I'll let you kind of expand on this, Murph. You know, on the one hand, it's like, man, that's a tough slate. You know, there's no, you know, no easy games. But in a unique situation like this season's going to be, where you're gonna, you know, you try to get as many games in, uh, you want to play quality games for the net ranking uh, systems because. I don't think the win-loss records is going to be as big of a factor as far as getting into the tournament like in past years. I think because you're, a lot of teams aren't going to be able to play your typical uh, non-conference games where you're trying to you know get three, four extra wins, uh, teams that can go 13-11, and 11, let's say, as long as their net is good and they have quality wins, is probably going to get into the tournament this year where maybe in past years they don't. Yeah, like UCF doesn't have a... Uh... A New Jersey Institute of Technology on their on their schedule this year, which, uh, by the way, makes me have... upset. I just want to say that for the record. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. Uh, Thank they you. They don't have a College of Charleston on their roster on their schedule this year, and yeah, you would like a couple of you know easy W's to fatten up your your win loss record. But when we're all playing a, a modified number of games, it's really more about who did you beat, and so UCF has you know kind of stacked their own deck. With with these you know power conference teams, two of them are ranked. Uh, another one, um, you know, in in Oklahoma uh, is kind of I think on the verge of, of of being ranked or could be ranked. Um, so it's 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 a it's a challenging uh, four game non conference slate, 
but one I think this this program was aiming for because in this kind of season you really need to rack up uh, quality wins because there's just not enough space uh, in your schedule to get just the easy ones. And I will yeah. add here that uh, teams are allowed this year to play up to 27 games. So if you add in the uh, 10 home, 10 away conference games for each, that's 20. And then we have four here, that's 24. So UCF would have space to add in three more games, non-conference games, if they uh, so choose to. Uh, I've heard it's you know anything's possible, um, but this is how it's set right now. I, I assume that they would rather leave those dates open for rescheduling more than having to schedule you know a quad four team from some you know, low bar conference. Um, so what you're saying is still no hope for the Highlanders of New Jersey of the New Jersey Institute no, of Technology. No. Is so that what you're saying? Okay. Very sorry. All right. Well, no, but it, right. Unless it's a Power Five major program that come, hey, calls Don, you know, calls Johnny and says, hey, I kind of can we can we get a game in? And by the way, we have more details on that Auburn slate. That's a home and home now. Uh, so it's going to be here at UCF this year, and then at Auburn next year. So you look at UCF's future schedule. Michigan is scheduled to come here next year. You go to Auburn next year. You're starting to see Coach Dawkins' philosophy. This is not a one-year thing. He likes to have, I think, a mix of a marquee home games and is willing to go on the road. He's, and you look at it, he's had home-and-homes with Alabama, Missouri, now Auburn, Oklahoma, Michigan. I mean, he's not ducking people. And I, yeah. I think that's exciting uh, from a program standpoint. And I, I, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's exciting. It's very exciting. And I think it's – look, if they can get a split of those four games or win three out of four, that's a heck of a start going into league play and get yourself into the tournament. But the beauty is even if you lose those uh, any of those games, it's not going to hurt you in the net. Whereas if you do play New Jersey of institution technology, you could win by 30 and you're still going to drop in the net. So. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. But uh, <laughs> so, so, we, so we await that conference schedule. That's what we just got yeah. to wait and see on right now. So stick around on blackandgoldbanneret.com. When that comes down, and, you'll definitely have and it. And a quick salute to the women's because it was announced, uh, UCF Women's Basketball announced their home opener – is uh, their opener is going to be Thanksgiving Eve. They're going to host Virginia. Hmm. Hello. <laughs> so, I mean, with Coach Abe and Dawkins, the bar has been raised from a scheduling standpoint that we probably haven't seen before in this program's history in both men and the women to the point where, yes, in the past, these programs would play marquee games usually on the road or in a tournament, but now you're starting to see teams willing to come here, uh, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Shows not just respect to the program, but also the coaching staffs, too. Yes. You know, I think that's what I think that's what they really does. Go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. One more. No, you're fine. One more note I'll throw in here because it was mentioned in the release when uh, UCF men's basketball uh, published their non-con schedule that uh, it's been agreed upon or at least allowed that uh, the addition financial arena where they host the home games for men's and women's basketball will have 25 percent capacity four fans this season. Remember, we talked even last week about will they or won't they have fans? Well, they will. They'll have a, a quarter stadium full worth of fans. That's about 2,300, 2,500. 2,500, because it's a 10,000-seat arena. It's not really, though. It's like 90, It's like 9,400, so it's 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 a it's a moving number. It's it's, a, it's around <laughs> 2,400, okay? So anyway, Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's good. Obviously, for those, for those kind of games... Uh, you know, Oklahoma and Auburn, uh, yeah, you would definitely see more fans than 
2,500 in the arena for that, uh, but at least someone will be there to see it and root for the UCF Knights. Well, here, here's what I know about... Masks ca- are required, by the way. Yeah. Masks, required. Masks are required. Here's what I know about capacities. So the old arena, which is now the venue, supposedly sat 5,100. I was there for UCF's game against Troy, which was the record in that building at the time, which was... And this place was jam packed i think that was in 2003 and this play uh, literally jam-packed there were people standing all around and the total attendance was listed as 4700 i thought it was over 5100 because just kind of looking around like everywhere where you could stand somebody was standing plus all of the seats were completely jam-packed but um as far as like what's the actual attendance of edition financial arena now, let's go with what they say, 10,000. Because 2,500, that's easy math to actually work on. So uh, so that's our schedule update, at least for right now, with uh, men's and women's basketball. All right. Let's switch over to men's tennis. Big, uh, by the way, it's nice to talk about not football. I mean, not that I don't like talking about football, but it's nice to talk about the Olympic sports really, that we, we have for the first time, really, and it's men's tennis getting uh, getting some love this week. Uh, earlier uh, this week, the ITA National Fall Championship, uh, which was held at uh, a tournament, which was held at the USTA National uh, Tennis Campus uh, in Lake Nona, it was an all UCF final, and it was televised on ESPNU. Now, this is an individual event, not a team event. Um, but the final in the on the men's side was Trey Hildebrand of UCF against his teammate Gabriel DeCamps. And uh, after DeCamps won the first set uh, 6-4, Hildebrand kind of hit the afterburners and uh, won the last two sets 6-1, 6-1 to take the tournament championship uh, uh, on ESPNU on national television. So um, five, by the way, it was, a to- it, was, they, it was five UCF players who participated in this, uh, in this tournament, along with uh, Mikhail uh, Sokolovsky, Quinn Snyder, and Vasil Kiselyov. Um, but uh, these two guys made it to the final, and uh, and it was uh, Trey Hildebrand who uh, got the victory in three. And afterwards, spoke with our very own Eric Lopez. Elo, what was that like? It was really great to catch up with him and talk about the unique the uniqueness of this tournament. Of course, this tournament is a field where many college players, junior players, participate in, and Hildebrand was the eighth seed. He beat one of the top players in the world, Connor Krug who is a Duke star there, as well as beating uh, Kylie Seelig of Ohio State and, of course, beat uh, all the way to the final where he fought, saw his old roommate and teammate, Mr. DeCamps. I talked to him about that. What was it like to face somebody you know so well? And what was it like also to play indoors? You see, they've been playing this tournament outdoors, but because of weather, moved it indoors for the championship. I talked to him about that and the impact and uh, what, uh, what P- night fans can look forward to moving forward for him. And the Knights 2020-21 tennis team. Here is Trey Hildebrand on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And joining us now, he is the new champion, ladies and gentlemen. You may watch them on Sunday on ESPNU winning the ITA National Fall Championship. I speak of Trey Hildebrand, who joins us here. Uh, that's a good title that you just added there over the weekend. Yeah, it was very good. You know, I'm very happy, very happy to get the title. Uh, what uh, now? You've had a few days to reflect on it. Take me through that tournament. What it was? What did it mean to you uh, to win it? And then going up against your buddy here and Gabriel DeCamps, obviously teammates there. 
you had to come from behind in the semis and in the in the final to win the championship. But what did that mean to you? No, it meant a lot. You know, I mean, I came into the tournament. I, I didn't really expect too much. I just wanted to. I did my first tournament back. I just wanted to get out there and play some good tennis. But um, luckily, I was able to play really well, and I just fought my way through the semis and finals. You know, I was a set down. Um, but I just told myself to keep fighting, you know, uh, keep staying, staying with him. Hopefully I was able to come back. But um, it was obviously really good for not only me and Gabe, for the program at UCF to have two uh, nights in the final. Um, it is very, very nice playing game in the final. Um, it's always good when you have, you're playing a teammate. Um, but it sucks that one of us had to win, one of us had to lose. But luckily I was able to get the upper hand. What was that like? You know each other so well. You've practiced against each other, I'm sure. Now you're playing indoors too, where you're you know you were playing outdoors. Now you, this match has moved inside at the USTA Center. What what was that like facing somebody that knows you and you know him? Yeah, I mean, obviously we play pretty much every day together. We practice every day. We see each other every day. I mean, we know the ins and outs of our each other's games, but it was just going to come down to who's playing better in the better in the bigger moments and who was able to come way through it. And moving indoors was definitely. Um, it was a shock to us because I mean, we had the last time we played indoors was probably together, honestly, probably over a year ago, uh, practicing in the spring, um, getting ready for some indoor matches. But yeah, we hadn't we hadn't played indoors in forever. But I think we uh, had a pretty good match and it was a pretty uh, high level. Yeah, pretty high level, I would say. Uh, what uh, describe for those that don't follow it closely what. It means to participate in a tournament like the ITA National Fall Championships, where you got some of the top college players, but you also have top juniors. What 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 is it like as a tennis player to be a part a part of it? Uh, it's a big honor, you know. I mean, to, to be able to compete in a very, at a very high level with uh, some very good players. Um, it's always nice to see the competition. Um, and but yeah, it's always very nice to play against high quality players. And especially to do so well in the tournament, it's just a very big honor for me overall. What did you learn about your game this week? Have you been working on it? You mentioned it's been a, it's been a while. We all know we, it's all well documented. Uh, the season got, got cut, cut short in the spring as you were having a great season as a team and everything like that. How did it mean getting back on the court, playing at a high-level competition, what did you learn about yourself that you'll take forward, move forward here? Um, well, like I said before, I just wanted to come out there and play some good tennis. I mean, I've been playing – pretty well in practice over the course of the fall. I mean, I've been improving a lot and working hard, getting a lot better. Um, and I just was going to see if I was able to, to be able to bring it into a tournament. And luckily I was able to, and very, very happy with my performance. And it just gives me a lot more confidence for the future and very, very excited for what's to come. For those, uh, describe your style of play. Because when I watched you play on Sunday, and, and I really enjoy how you're so aggressive at the net, serve and volley, you're so powerful and taking advantage from the serve. You know, we don't see that as often from other tennis, you know, in the sport of tennis, a lot more ground scrote, but you're just describe your style of play. Cause I really enjoyed the, the kind of dominance you had at the net. Yeah. I mean, I like to obviously serve ball. I like to mix up paces. I like to, I like to just keep the, my opponent on his heels. I, I don't really like to um, give him one pace, one rhythm. I like to keep the rhythm going. Um, I, I like to mix it up and serve ball. I just, uh, I've obviously I've done it for a pretty long time and I've gotten a lot better at it over the like past few, three years. And just as I get bigger and stronger, I think it's been a lot more effective because I can cover the court easier, get bigger serves and just move a lot better overall. The thing that impressed me about you and, 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 and Gabe was 
you're playing indoors. You you know, there's a difference. People that don't follow tennis don't understand. When you're playing outdoors, you go indoors. It's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, the climate's yeah. different. Just talk. I don't know. When did you guys even know you were going to be playing indoors? Because I know you had been playing outdoors earlier, I believe. Uh, well, to describe the differences there and the adjustments you you had to make and still play at a high level. Um. Well, yeah, we, we figured out we were going to play indoors. Um, like early in the morning, or like probably in the morning of the match, we played six. We we found out about around ten or eleven, I think. Um, but no, it's definitely a change. It's, it's a lot faster in there. The air is a lot thicker. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot colder in there than it was outside. So I mean, we just had to be get um, acclimated to that and just hit, see if we could handle it well. And it was very, uh, very quick and fast in there. So obviously, the serving volley probably helped me a little bit more, maybe a little more advantage um, for the match. You had a total. There was a total of you know. You had three, four other teammates participate in the tournament. How big is that? As you not only prepare this fall, but get set for the spring as well for the season to get these top high level matches and competition going to get you ready for the season. That has to be huge because not a lot of athletes mm -hmm. in other sports have that opportunity currently. No, exactly. I mean, we're all, we're very fortunate to have the tournament at, at the USTA where we train. So I mean, we were very fortunate to be able to play a tournament, especially with one with as good as players as they were in this tournament because we need to get ready for the spring and how, how there's no way better to do that than getting high quality matches in a high quality tournament um, about a couple of months before the season even starts. But yeah, we were very lucky to have it and we're very grateful. Fitting that you both would play in the final play, fitting to be played at the USTA national campus, obviously, where you call home. What is that? What did that mean, too, to be at home playing on national television? I would imagine the both of you had a lot of pride playing in that match and playing also at your home soil. Yeah, I mean, both of us obviously really wanted to win. Um, we wanted to win uh, for ourselves, for the school. And um, it's just very nice to have, be able to play at home. To be able to just play um, again, like I said, with a teammate at home, it's just, it's just like a practice match, you know. Just like every day, we go out there together and uh, play together as, as teammates, and um, you know, it was a lot of fun. You know, I really like playing at the SCA. What did it mean too to win a championship singles? You've you've played, you play both singles and doubles as you have to in college game. You've been a tremendous player in doubles, playing in the NCAA championships as a doubles player, all American double players. Describe the difference playing in doubles and then adjusting and then playing singles from a mindset standpoint and having that success here in both ends. Yeah, no, I mean honestly, to be honest, with you, I haven't had really a lot of success in singles in a while, man. So I mean, this is very. This week for me, it was very nice to get a title like this. I haven't done something like this in a long time in singles. I've always been more, my results have always really came in doubles, um, especially in college. But um, no, I mean, I don't know about the mindset changing to it because my mind's kind of the same. I kind of just serve ball in both, to be honest. But uh, I guess doubles is a little easier because I don't have to cover exactly like the full course, it's half court. And, um, and singles, you, you're kind of you can kind of stay back, and people normally stay back with doubles. It's kind of more of a coming forward game. It forces people to like use their hands and stuff, which I'm very good at. So it's kind of helped me over the past. But in singles, um, just trying to use my hand as much as possible. You know, trying to get where I can use my strength as much as possible, and um, it's in that whenever I can. You mentioned how big of a confidence boost is this for you, singles, uh, especially in the college level here. Now moving forward, the rest of your career, just a sophomore moving forward, you've, you've had the success doubles, not as much in the singles as you mentioned. This is going to be a big confidence booster for you, though, moving forward. That hey, you know, playing at the highest level, winning this championship. 
Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, like I said before, this is a big confidence booster because, I mean, I haven't had a result like this in singles in a while. Um, haven't really beaten players like this in a while. So it's just very, very refreshing to see that I, I still can play at a high level and I can still... Um, well, I'm very excited to move forward with, with my game, so I'm very excited. We're speaking with Trey Hildebrand, the, uh, of course, the new ITA National Fall Champion here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Tell You're from San Antonio. Tell us a little bit how you ended up at UCF here and playing for Coach Roddick. Um, well, I guess I knew John um, a little bit from before I came to college, so I knew uh, how he was as a coach. I heard he was a very good coach, and I know he had um, – Playing some players that have gone pro after college, I knew that uh, he would be able to show me what it takes to try to play, uh, have a professional career after college, and um, I, I knew he could show me the tools to get there. So I just decided that that was the best fit for me. What have you learned from Coach Roddick here during your time here that's helped you as far as your develop your game? Well, honestly, probably the most important thing is just my mentality. I mean, I had. Um, in juniors and still even now I, I get mad a lot on the court, kinda show my emotion, show my frustration, show my positivity whenever I can. Um he's just trying to get me to be more positive on the court and not, not let the negative things kinda take over the match and take over in my head and just you know, being able to stay more calm and more collective on the court. You mentioned the success you've had in double since you've been here at UCF playing with Pavel, who you both have been tr- dynamic, uh, ranked as high as 14th. You finished the ranked 17th your freshman year. You were on your way to another big year uh, in your sophomore season. Why have you and Pavel been so good together as far as the doubles team? Uh, I think we just um, I think we just connect really well together on the court. We were, we're really good friends off the court, so, I mean, the chemistry is always there. And, uh, again, we know each other's games. We know what each other like. We know what each other likes to do. And um, when we're playing well together, we're, we serve big, we return well. And, I mean, it's just hard to beat us when we're playing well. Talk about your team, uh, UCF team here. This is a young roster, still a lot of talent, but you're all making history every time you're playing. It's setting the bar even higher for the program than it's ever been since Coach Roddick's arrived. I mean, the camps has had a great run. I mean, talk about the roster and the team you have. You're going to be back because you're going to be a, a loaded team and still a lot with a, a, a yeah. young, still a lot of youth, which is scary. Yeah, no, we're very um, – I think most of us have about two years left, so, I mean – but we're a very deep team uh, we, from lines one to line six. I mean, the level difference is not that significant, you know. I mean, I mean, yeah, all of us on the team, we practice together. We we all beat each other. We all um, take turns beating each other. So, I mean, it's it's very good to see that levels up there from lines one to six. And we're very excited what we're going to be able to do in the spring. And we can't wait. And and you have to work together. College tennis is such a team game because you're dependent on each other, regardless whether it's singles or doubles, to get the points, to get the result. Just talk, talk about some of your teammates. You mentioned, I mean, we saw DeCamps and how talented he is. What makes him so great? And some of the other guys that you've got here, because you've got a great mix of youth, and yet you have that experience. It's like that chemistry that's kind of been building uh, here on the program. No, I mean, all the guys work really hard, you know, it's, and all the guys um, put, it, put everything they have into practice. They all – Right when we walk on the court to practice, we're all engaged and we're all ready to, to get each other better. So it's always but um, and it's really good having guys like that around me because it obviously makes me a lot better. It makes me engaged. And um, you know when we're playing sets, we um, get a little into it. But that's always good because we want to have a competitiveness in there. And we're practicing in drills. We're always just pumping each other up, just saying like, "Let's go, Trey, or let's go, Gabe," just stuff like that. Just keep each other going and 
keep each other engaged in the practice. What makes Gabe's, I mean, such a great player? I mean, he's had his great run so far himself. He was the first uh, All-American uh, singles player mm-hmm. in program history in the junior in his this past season. Uh, what makes him so great there? Because, I mean, he gave you all, all you can handle. I mean, you had to dig deep to you know, take him out, you know, beat yeah. him there in that championship. But he's had a tremendous run there. And I'm sure that helps your confidence that he's one of the best singles players out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Gabe is just, when he plays, he's a, he's a machine from the baseline, doesn't miss balls from the baseline. His forehand is one of the biggest forehands in college, for sure. I mean, in practice, he, he just, he'll take over some practices with just his forehand in general and just kill us all off the court with his forehand. And um, he's gotten a lot better at the net. He's able to move forward now, I mean, and he's comfortable doing it. So, I mean, that's always kind of a scary thing when he meshes it all together. And his returns are very, very, very good. He, his serve is continuing to improve. Um, it's improved a lot since I first saw him. But, I mean, obviously he still has to like work on a little bit. He knows that. So, I mean, I, mean, I think he's going to be all right. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing good. What got you interested in playing tennis growing up? What what influenced you in playing tennis? Did you have a favorite tennis player that influenced your your game and, and, and watching him? Um, I mean, my favorite tennis player has always been Roger Federer. I don't know. I just kind of like the dominance he's had over the past well, past like, twenty years or whatever. I mean, he's been doing it for so long, um, and you know, I just like how he's just keeps calm on the court. I like the way he plays, but. Um, what got me into tennis? My dad got me into tennis. My dad is always my coach um, my entire life through juniors. So he kind of got me started at an early age, and I kind of just started. Yeah, I started training. I started really liking it, and just kind of progressed on to what it is now. Do you think Roger doesn't seem like he's going to slow down? I know he had like the knee surgery this year, but he's ready to go here for the Australian here in twenty twenty one in seems, the Olympics. I always seems to bounce back. He yeah. always seems to bounce back. It's unbelievable, and I would imagine that inspires you too. Watching somebody like Roger play and adapt over the years—that has to be an inspirational from your standpoint in your game. No, for sure, because I've seen his game style. I mean, he's not the same player that he used to be when he first started on the tour and stuff. So, I mean, it's just good to see. And um, yeah, it's just nice to that he's still doing it at his age now. I don't know what he is—like thirty-seven or something like that—but it's really good to see. Yeah, show it. He is certainly uh, playing a high level there, and you're playing at a high level here. Is I'm sure you know with pro aspirations down the road. One of the advantages you might have is you could play at a high level in doubles, and now you've shown you could play at a high level at singles, which will give you some options uh, once you're done with your college career there. Because you know the Bryan brothers, for example, who just retired, one of the greatest mm-hmm. doubles teams there. Is that something you've thought about from a, a down the road here, uh, as far as hey, no, I could for- make career a career as either a doubles player or singles, whatever that whatever it takes me. Yeah, for sure. No, I've always kind of my plan uh, through our college, and I've always I've always said I'm going to go pro in doubles and, and see what I can do. And doubles, I think I could play at a very high level on the doubles tour. And I mean, if I did that, that would be amazing for me. I mean, I don't. I'd, yeah, again, that'd be that'd be amazing for me. Um, on singles, in singles, I'll probably I'll probably try after college to go pro and see see where it takes me, see how well I play, and see how it goes. But if I'm able to do one or the other, I mean, whichever one it is, like it'd be perfectly fine with me. I mean, it'd be amazing either way. And if both, that's just that's just better you know i mean if it's both it's both if it's just one or the other it's just one or the other what's the it's biggest for me. no no doubt i mean that's a, what's the biggest thing you've worked on and will continue to work on on your game that you feel like hey if i can just 
be you know improve on this game. Every tennis player has something they always are working on, improving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take them to that next level. What is that aspect of the game that you're working on that you feel like if I could just get knocked this out and improve this even just a little bit more, this could take me to the next level? Well, that's no secret. That's my forehand. Uh, my forehand has been um, kind of been a weakness of mine for a while, and um, but I but again, I've I've really worked really worked on it over the past year year and a half. I've really 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 tried to engage in every practice my forehand and just really focus on the little things to get it better. And it's definitely shown big size of improvement. And um, I was able to do it in the tournament as well. I was able to hit it in the tournament very well in the tournament, uh, luckily. Um, and hopefully it just keeps improving over time, you know, and, and maybe I'll be able to call it a strength one day, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty strength. I want to go back to that semifinal match because you're down a set and you're literally a game away from being knocked out and you're able to mm-hmm. pull that out. I, I got to imagine that's a match you're going to you, – that's something you're going to remember for a while and it's going to really help you down the road. Take me through that moment in that semis against Young where you're down a set and you're down a game here and you know that you got to figure out, pull it out here or you're going to be out here and you're able to – not only you pulled it out, but then you co- you won the third set and moved on and we know the rest is history. Take me through that moment because that was a defining moment. Well, you know, I mean, I told myself that – I wasn't going to, I was, the conditions were really tough out there. It was really windy, you know, so it was kind of tough to hit winners. So I told myself I just wasn't going to miss balls that game. I just, I'm going to put every ball in play. If the guy hit four winners and won the game, he hit four winners and won the game. I mean, there's not much I could do when he does that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just told myself I just wanted to put balls in play that game. And if he beats me, he beats me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of all that went through my head, really. I just was going to fight. I was obviously going to run down every ball and compete for every ball and just, involved the court so now you win this championship take me now through from your standpoint individually first the rest of the fall as you get prepared for the spring and everything like that the kind of the keys there what you work on moving forward as you get set here for the uh the you know the spring season and beyond as we get to the to the college season here and then compete for the conference championship and get back to the ncaa's both as a team and as individuals yeah i mean my, my mentality and i'm sure the team mentality doesn't really change man i mean I think it's been doing. We've been doing really, really well as a group and then as individuals and as a group um, in practice and engaging in practice. Like I said, and my mentality is not going to change. I'm going to work hard, work my ass off every day of practice. Um, and I'm going to try to keep improving my games. I know there are areas that I need to improve, even though I won the tournament. There are areas I need to improve. And um, but yeah, I'm not going to stop. I know we're going to keep improving for the spring. And we're all really, really excited and hungry for that. Um, spring and we want to win a conference championship this year and I imagine like some unfinished business right like there's that taste you know the season got cut short you understood why it was yeah. but there's that you know man there's a that more appreciation to get the opportunity you know not that you didn't have it before but as a group you have that appreciation just to be back on the court and at the same time some unfinished business because you were headed for a monster year before it got cut short yeah. and I think you guys want to kind of continue that and uh, kind of go deep into the postseason and, and accomplish all your goals you all have internally yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think when we ended the season, I think we, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think we were on about like an eight-match winning streak or something like that. But I mean, we were playing well as a team. We were all um, competing every match. We were we were doing making stupid mistakes like we were the year before. You know, we were we were going to be good that year. We were or last year, we were on ways to becoming like a top fifteen team. I think so we were around twenty. I think when the thing 
when uh, COVID happened and everything stopped. But uh, no, we were really excited for a conversation. We and we thought we were going to get uh, last year, but sadly, it had to be cut short. It was cut short, but uh, you know, I think it gets you all ready to go, ready hopefully in the spring. Here was that weird, by the way, being indoors because you, you, when you've played during the college season over there at USTA Center, you're playing in front of a good crowds there, and I don't think people realize that. I've been out, you know, but people out there, good atmosphere, just some crowds here. It's kind of controlled. There's nobody there for the obvious reasons. Was that an adjustment not having uh, people around? Um. I mean, to be honest, not really. Actually, the whole tournament, nobody was really around. So you, by the time it came to the final, we were kind of used to it. I mean, it was just different kind of having the cameras around, the mics around, and all, all the lines people. But, I mean, I was able to adjust fine and play well, so I'm happy with it. You should be happy with it. You're a champion now and uh, well-earned. Well-earned. Uh, Trey Hildebrand here. Uh, congratulations on that championship. It was awesome to see you and Gabe uh, play on TV. It was great for as a tennis fan to get some extra tennis in there because there was a few months ago there where we didn't think that'd be possible from a college and professional yeah. standpoint. So uh, congrats on the great achievement, and, and uh, we look forward to seeing you more here moving forward here at UCF and uh, hope to enjoy talking to you and uh, look forward to seeing you on the court. No, for sure, man. Thank you for having me, all right? I really appreciate it. And that's Trey Hildenbrand joining us there, the sophomore out of San Antonio, uh, joining us there. It was great to talk to him, and what a big win moment for him. And he even talked about it, guys. You know, he's an All-American doubles player. He's accomplished that so far in his young UCF career with Pauville, as we talked about, the great tandem. Uh, but really, singles, he hadn't really accomplished as much in the singles. So this is a big boost for him, and you know, that servant volley that you, you know, those that watched it, uh, very similar to his idol, Roger Federer, on the grass courts of Wimbledon, you may have seen. You saw it there with Hildebrand, who is a, one of the big-time recruits that John Roddick has brought here to this program. And that's the versatility of this program, is they're going to be able to really put out dominant performances in singles and doubles. And for Hildebrand, he's just a sophomore. I think the future's bright. And you look at this tennis team, as we talked about in the interview, guys, they bring everybody back, basically. There's no seniors uh, on the roster. Uh, Camps really, and the impressive, DeCamps is the best singles player. I mean, I think if going into that match, DeCamps was probably the favorite because he is the first UCF men's tennis All-American. But it shows how close they are as far as talent-wise where Hildenbrand uh, was able to take them out. So this is a team that's going to have a monster year. They're going to be probably a top 25 type of a tennis team. They're, a they're headed to being a national title contender down the road, if not sooner, maybe this year. Who knows? Um, ton of talent. Quinn Snyder, the true freshman, is a five-star recruit that came in. He was part of this tournament. I mean, John Roddick has got it rolling now with the Menace Tennis Program, and we're, it's uh, it's pretty cool, man, to see him showcased on the ESPNU there. That's that, that's always good exposure. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the ITA rankings right now. It's a little wonky because, like, the season has basically barely started. There's not a whole lot going on. But they do have, according to the site, uh, their rankings are as of September 29th, which I guess is kind of like preseason, right? DeCamps is 19th in the country. Uh Juan Pablo Grassi Mazuki is uh, is seventy sixth. Uh, UCF as a team is ranked. I just saw him. There they are, twenty second. Um, but I, I I would imagine that with again, this is one of those sports where like you think football is weird. Man, tennis is going to be really strange with um, with the COVID nineteen situation, right, Eric? 
It is, but I'm the most honestly. If you if you ask me, tennis and golf, I'm the most confident as far as while the COVID thing's gonna be weird. I don't think it'll be as interrupted as much uh, because it's an individual sport. You're you're really isolated in the sport. It's the most isolated sport you could possibly be, um, and it's just you know taking care of yourself. And I think tennis, we've seen that in the pros with the ATP and the WTA. And and Murph, you covered the World Team Tennis this past summer. Uh, granted in a bit of a bubble circumstances, but still, uh, I think tennis can handle this. And they did that this week with that, that past week with the ITA tournament championship. You saw the protocols, you saw people wearing masks. So I'm optimistic about the tennis season, uh, you know, handling this pretty well. And I hope so. I mean, remember this team, the men's tennis was, uh, and women's tennis were off to tremendous starts in 2020. We, we focused so much on yeah. softball and baseball and their great starts. Men's and women's tennis were having big years again before the season got shut down. Uh, I think they both were headed for a, a monster years, probably conference championships, had the season not been interrupted. And I think that's where the expectations are. The bar has been raised here with you at UCF and tennis. They are going to be a national. They're a national program. That's what John Roddick has turned them into. They're going to be hosting national championships here down the road. That was announced recently. And I think he's doing what he did at Oklahoma. They're going to be competing for national championships. And, uh, man, it's exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. By the way, on the women's side, uh, both Rebecca Stolmar and Nandini Sharma uh, made it to the uh, quarterfinals in the main draw. And then also in the second draw, um, uh, Valeria Zaleva and Jalisa Leslie uh, made their debuts uh, for UCF on the women's side on the ITA. So, and, and you know, and you know, this is—I think something we're also going to start seeing down the road. We're going to start seeing UCF players playing professionally at, at levels. You know, I and you, and you heard the interview with Hildebrand. He's talked about playing doubles professionally in the ATP tour, possibly uh, maybe World Team Tennis. He's got the game to do it. Watching him play, he is a fantastic doubles player with his game—the big serve, the volley. He's a perfect compliment. I think we're going to start seeing guys like him play in the next level, whether it be in singles or especially in doubles with Hildebrand's case. He's too good not to play doubles. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing UCF guys playing at the highest level here professionally uh, moving forward. I think that's the type of talent that John Roddick has brought here, as well as Brian Koneko, the women's coach, who, by the way, was the last guy you, prior to this year, the last time that a school had a head, a head-to-head matchup in the IT uh, championships was Brian at Ohio in 2008. <laughs> Brian Ohio against a teammate in 2008, huh? Yeah. Did he win it? Yeah. Uh, I. That's a good question. Did he win it? I'm looking it up right now, installing. And the answer <laughs> to that question, uh, <laughs> yes, he did. He oh, he did. Okay. His teammate. Justin Krunich in three sets. That was back in so the was, days where he was at Ohio State. Two, that was 2008. I was covering Georgia at that time, and the top player in the country was at UGA, and that was John Isner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and he totally dominant in college was John. And, uh, uh, boy, he was something to watch because he was – He's just he was just serving people out of the building every time left served, and right. right. And and that's been right. And 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 I th- but I think what I like from a guys like Hildebrand the camps they have variety in their game and I think that's right. the key to being successful at the next They're level. They're not not a one trick on- not a one trick pony. Right. 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 By the way, Hildebrand it goes without saying is the first UCF player in history uh to win this tournament, which has been now 42 years old. 
mm-hmm. and like I said, it's not just college players. A lot of times they have junior players and things like that, and they go on to have successful tennis careers moving forward. So this is a big honor. Cool. All right. So congrats to uh, congrats to Trey on that, and hopefully we'll see uh, what the what the schedule looks like for uh, men's tennis and women's tennis coming up uh, as we approach the uh, spring. It's going to be fluid as it normally is. So, uh, but you know, when you're in Florida and you can come to the USTA National Campus, hey, why not? Let's wrap this thing up with a little something, but we want to, it's, it's a sad week for those of us who love TV and, uh, and we all do. Um, Alex Trebek passed away, the longtime host of Jeopardy, 36 years. He was hosting Jeopardy for, since 1984, um, passed away after a, um, after a, after a difficult battle with uh, prostate or not prostate pancreatic cancer, um, at the age of eighty, um, and, and we we talked about it on the group text, and like I think it's safe. To, there's I, I don't think there's any person who is more closely associated with the show on which they are than Alex Trebek was with Jeopardy, and. And Jeopardy was a television institution. It's been on. It's been on TV for as long as most of us have been alive. And uh, and and Alex is gone, and it's just going to be hard to believe. So uh, we wanted. To, I thought a lot about like how how can we pay tribute to Alex Trebek in our own UCF way. Obviously, there have been you know some UCF graduates who've been on Jeopardy before. Um, but my question would be so obviously we've had jeopardy it's had some spin-offs including sports jeopardy with dan patrick right um i, I loved rock and roll jeopardy when that was on vh1 you remember that uh, sort of yeah VH1. The, the host of that one was uh, the guy who does survivor um jeff probst? yes jeff probst he was the he was the host of that that was really good but um so let me ask you this Let's. I want to ask both of you guys. Let's say the producers of Jeopardy decided, for some strange reason, that they were going to pick the new host of Jeopardy from only people who are associated with UCF. If that were the case, who do you think they would pick? Now, I have my pick, but I want one of you guys to go first. Yeah, I'm over. See, but I I need to know your pick because I'm going to probably steal it. But besides okay. that, okay. I'm I'm over I'm overthinking this. Like I'm thinking really too hard about this, so why don't you <laughs> surprise, surprise? You want me to lay it on you, Eric? Do you have one? I'd rather you. I'm with Murph. I'd rather you right, go right. first before I, 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 I get a bolder. I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna go with our man Stat Pat, Pat Hernan. <laughs> in in the butt. Don't laugh. Don't don't you dare laugh at at Pat because it. listen. I love it. I love it. Listen, I love it. I love every it. first of all, everyone loves Pat. He's the kindest gentleman you could possibly find. He is super smart. He's an educator. Um, is uh, he's he is on top of it. He uh, in terms of uh, in terms of knowledge and stats. Um, he amazed me how like back when he was doing uh, back when Bright House Sports Network was doing high school football, he actually basically came up with game notes for both teams that were like pages thick from high schools, which I couldn't even believe. Um, just super knowledgeable and also just a calming presence to talk to. You just know he's smart about everything. Um, Pat, Pat is my would be my 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 guy. He would be my guy to take over on Jeopardy. All right. What about you guys? Yeah, it's that's pretty good. Like, cause yeah, I agree. And so I'm thinking, like, I, 
I thought all the way through, like, okay, you need someone who is who is intellectual, but also kind of uh, calming and personable. Uh, yes, yeah. but also has uh, a, a, a has wit and has an ability to be comedic unexpectedly, uh, almost right. So yeah, um, I, I, it's really hard for me because I'm, I'm thinking of people like uh, like Eric DeSalvo would be good, but I think Eric's too energetic, and that's not a, that's not a knock against Eric DeSalvo. But that's just kind of who he is. Like Giant Dawkins seems right to me. He's very, he's extremely smart. He's like well composed, and being around him enough, like he's he's pretty witty for a guy who uh, doesn't really you know fly off the handle. Like he's he's really kind of witty, but very serene and calm, and and uh, but obviously he's extremely smart. I, I don't know. I'm sure I'll think of a better answer in about 12 hours. So uh, <laughs> why does Eric go next? Go ahead, Eric. That's pretty good on Dawkins. That's pretty good, actually. I, I, that's a, not a bad one. Not a, 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 that's a pretty good one. I'm shocked, Jeffrey. I like the Hernan thing, but I'm going. I'm I'm going with a guy I thought you were going to go with, uh, Todd Dagenet. I'm going Todd Dagenet. I know that you know the guy is bright. I enjoy listening to him talk. I think he's smart, and I think he's entertaining. And I think he would entertain. Now, yeah, I know Murph. You might say he's a little bit too uh, hyped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I can deal with that. Look, no one's going to be Alex Trebek, so I think it's not fair to try to find the next Alex Trebek. you got to find the next person. I would like to see Todd host it in that scenario. Hmm. Uh, that would be one that I would pick. I mean, heck, we could even use the name. You know, the, the, who is Dagenet? Um, <laughs> uh, or, or Brian. How about his assistant? Brian, dude's a great defensive mind. Uh, I don't know if he would you know, be as – personality-wise, he would handle the hosting duties like Todd would. I think Todd would be a great host. So I would go with him. Uh, what do you get? But, you know, uh, as far as a coach or, or player's concern, alumni, um, if you're including staff, I would say I'm just going – I'm going – I'm going John Heisler, man. Come on. the guy's John Heisler, okay. Yeah, John Heisler's an author, great, well-spoken. Down, you know, to your point, Murph, you want a little low-key – John Heisler, I would pick him if we go staff. I, I, I would also add, like, that's a good pick. John Heisler, for those of you who don't know, uh, John Heisler uh, is at the head of the communications department for UCF Athletics. Uh, but, yeah, he's very – Literally romantic. wrote the book on Notre Dame football. Yeah, I mean, as, as knowledgeable of a mind as, of Notre Dame football as you'll find, but a commanding presence but very soft-spoken. Um, you know, uh, it's, I like that a lot. I should also add, if I if I continue to, continue to push for Eric DeSalvo, and I don't know why I forgot about this when I first mentioned his name, he has experience in the role because Eric yeah. and his brother and his brother Matt, uh, 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 they for a couple of years uh, they did a uh, they they were the host of a trivia competition every Tuesday at the World of Beer on Lake Eola, and I would know because I went there every Tuesday with a friend of mine and we ran it. We were great. But that's that's me bragging about myself. Um, I didn't know that. Eric Eric has hosted a trivia competition, uh, pop culture, music, movies, TV, for uh, it did for about two years up until about 2018. But uh, yeah, he 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 has experience. Man, how did I miss that? Wow, really? That's not bad. I feel that's like pretty good. Would, I feel like DeSalvo would be a good like Price is Right host. Just kind of yeah, he's got that he's got that that bubbly. That yeah, I, I, DeSal- no, no. DeSalvo would be very good on Wheel of Fortune. 
as, a, as a replacement for Pat Sajak because you know it, it's like you know he already knows the answer, but he's kind of like facilitating things, right? He's organizing things. Um, See, now I was thinking Dan Forsella could be the host <laughs> of, of the Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> and then have Megan Herboth as the Vanna White there, where the letters. So I think you've got a combo there. They've already worked together, kind of like Pat Sajak and Vanna White, because that's a combo. You have to have a combo here. You can't do isolated. I think you have to have that team chemistry, and I feel like they they can make that work uh, from from you know Wheel of Fortune. People people may not know who those are, so people should know that we're just now naming uh, communications people that we we're just, talk yeah, to. Yeah, we're just on naming the, the people who we know at UCF in the communications department who we communicate with the most, and that's. How, yeah. about, how about I mean I mean I'll give you another one. I, I think for Price or Right, I don't know why I'm going away from Jeopardy. Jeopardy's a harder show. I, I like my. That's Heisler why I asked the question. It was like I like, I like Heisler still uh, there. I'll give you another name. I think for the Price is Right, he's like a Kenny Landis. Kenny Landis, who by the way helped us hook up with the Trey Hillebrand interview. Thank yes, you. thank you, Kenny. Uh, he would be a nice host, I think, for the for the Price is Right. Why? Are, I don't know why I'm trying what to about, get Drew Carey. What about you know, yeah? Like, listen, let's not retire Drew on that. What about like what about like current or former uh, student athletes? <laughs> Oh wait! I'm trying to I'm trying to compose myself. Okay. I can't believe that we Listen, started. All right, so I, I, I'll give you I'll give you one. I I loved talking to Richie Grant when yeah. I talked to him last year. I found him to be super engaging. We know he's a smart dude, um, and I was like, Richie Grant to me would be like would be great in one of those kinds of roles. I think he would be. I think oh, he would be oh, super oh, hold fantastic. Hold on. Hold on. I mean, yes, good choice. I like Richie, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm downgrading that because that's pretty good. But hello, Michael Donald, that's the guy. You got he gets he needs to host a show. Period. Okay, it could be anything. Oh, Donald, I could. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like Mod could totally host a reality show and just be all over the place. Like he would, he would be great as like, uh, as as uh, Jeff Probst. Uh, or uh, he would be better than Ryan Seacrest, obviously. Um, it, it, he would be great. Uh, he would be excellent hosting reality because I think does he? Isn't he like pretty big in some of the reality? No, I know he's I know he's big into Star Wars, obviously, but I don't know. I, I don't look, know I I kind of lost myself there because I think it was hilarious that we have this Jeopardy segment that somehow that somehow went askew and now we named a new host for prices right yeah for no reason now we're just now we're firing drew carey we're firing pat sajak and vanna white like you know like yeah like we're uh, impugning I jeff have, probst I have, I have a host for match game 73 oh, yeah, uh, okay. but i don't know like the best like yeah like richie grant is great because he's a great talker there are other great talkers like otis anderson's a great talker uh, mackenzie milton should be up there too but you're also looking for, but I don't know, if you want to follow in the Trebek line, you need like that sort of like surprise, like surprising, uh, like. Uh, you need, you need like, gravitas, right? Yeah, like caught off guard. You need like a caught off guard wit. Like those guys are actually too funny to be <laughs> the host of Jeopardy. I'll, I'll give you an, an athlete standpoint. BJ Taylor, especially in the topic of movies, like Murph, I'm shocked. The next time you ever talk to B.J. Taylor, you talk to movies. He's talked to Mark Daniels on the radio about movies. He reviews movies. I'm shocked you two have never spoken about movies. B.J.'s a movie nut, and he I, knows his knowledge there. I, I, he'd be another one that could host. I didn't mm -hmm. know that. I didn't know yeah. that. I did not know that about B.J. either. Wow. 
Yeah, like next time Murphy run and, into Mark, you ask him about it. Like it's every time he's had BJ on, they usually break down a movie they've seen recently and whatever. It's it's really phenomenal. Yeah. So BJ Taylor would be another guy that could host a show. And last but not least, how can we possibly have something like this and forget about Jordan Johnson? Who, yeah. by the way, wants to be on television, right? That's really good. He, he, would be, he would be amazing. Now, he's kind of like the bubbly type, right? So, yeah, I, I'm totally in on Jordan. I would be totally in on Jordan Johnson to host anything that we could, that, that we, you could possibly have. So, there you go. So, so, so who's going who's gonna to replace Alex Trebek? I don't know. I don't know if anybody can really replace him, but somebody will be. I'm actually now worried that Heisler might leave us to be the host. I'm actually concerned. Um, Murph, can you make sure he's set the, in the stadium there on Saturday? If he's not. I'll ask him on Saturday if he's in the running with Ken Jennings. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a break here. Or actually, no, we're going to we're, we're done with the show. We can actually go let's now. Break. Yeah, let's break let's break until let's break until Saturday when we actually cover the game. UCF against Temple, 730 p.m. ESPN. U. Uh, I will be there. Murph, you will be there. Uh, Eric, you will be watching on television, I would imagine. That's um, right. And preparing, for, and preparing for the night shift with Andrew Gluchov right after the game, right? That's correct. I don't have to worry about anybody competition taking that job away from me anytime soon <laughs> in the immediate future. Me and Andrew will recap the Temple game at some point. You can check out, by the way, Andrew's work right now, Black and Gold Bennett. His all-FBS team, Yes, twenty fifth. this is the 25th season of UCF football. He put his all-FBS team. It's really good. I want you to check that out. Him and I will recap the Temple game, and uh, I have a feeling we might start looking ahead to that next opponent, Cincinnati, uh, at some point Saturday night. Uh, it'll be Saturday night live, if you will, uh, late night there, right. probably during a monologue while Murph is uh, obviously be doing his post-game stuff. We'll be out there. Uh, that'll be up on the social media and on the Black and Go Bannerette as well. Yep. Keep an eye on that. Uh, and also for uh, Andrew's uh, post-game uh, knee-jerk reactions as well, make sure you follow all of us individually. Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy, as well as UCF underscore Bannerette. Thanks again to uh, everybody on the team who's been helping out. Of course, Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. That's Andrew. Uh, and Jeremy Brenner, uh, Daniela, uh, Danny Medina, Danny Medina News, who's been just on top of the weather, of course, and writing up some great features Thank God for us. Somebody is. I know, but the weather should be good on Saturday. The weather should be as nice. As long as she says it, I believe it. I hear as long you. As she says it, I believe it. So. By the way, shout out Jimmy Skiles could also host uh, one of those game shows. How do we not bring up Jimmy Skiles? What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Skiles would be great. Skiles would be, I, actually. Skiles and Steve Robertson, my two guys over there. Steve would be just amazing. Although I could totally see Steve hosting, like, Press Your Luck. Like, he's to he would totally be all over Press Your Luck. He'd be great. Again, dude. again, again. We, we're going to different game shows. Now. I know, I know. We're now, yeah. Now, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, th shout out to those guys as well. So the Salvo could host Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. That would be another <laughs> show. <laughs> Facebook.com. I'm I'm trying to pull this thing back onto the rails, guys. Come on. Facebook.com slash black and gold banner. And of course yeah. And of course blackandgoldbanneret.com where uh we are UCF's home on the SB Nation uh network. And oh, don't forget to follow us there every day. We got something up on UCF. So uh thanks again to you for listening. Uh for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks once again. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you Saturday night at UCF and Temple. See you then.